This is Women's Tech Radio, a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they're successful in technology careers. I'm Paige. And I'm Angela. So Angela, today we're going to interview Jamie and she is amazing. Super amazing. Um, She runs a digital advertising agency and um, they've done lab work and they're kind of producing these interesting futurist apps and we kind of go down that awesome rabbit hole and it's just it's a great interview. And before we get into that, I just want to mention that you can support Women's Tech Radio and the Jupiter Broadcasting Network by going to patreon.com forward slash today. Uh, there's no minimum donation, but if you want to donate like $3 a month, it's available. If you want to donate more, that's great too. But Women's Tech Radio is funded that way, so go to patreon.com forward slash today. Yeah, we, we rely on you, the listener, to make sure these awesome shows keep coming out. So check it out. Um and we get started today by asking Jamie to tell us a bit about her agency and what she's up to. So I run a company, it's called Neologic, and we do digital marketing for all sorts of companies, um, but we also have a lab, which is pretty common these days, but we're an extremely small team. So for us, it's challenging in the right way to keep the lab open, but in the lab, we've developed in-house an app and also a website theory. <laughs> um, I don't really know how to describe it in two words, but um but yeah, so we're doing that in the lab and it's been really exciting. We're, we're just hitting our year mark of being in business. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. So what is extremely small? Um, five employees. Wow. And then we, we stretch into um, contractors, but that's the core. Okay. That is extremely small. So, yeah. so how many do you participate in the lab like with 20% time or do you have dedicated employees who are just lab employees? Yeah, we're not big enough to have fully dedicated people in the lab, but I would say the partners, you know, we spend a lot of time doing labs projects. Um, There's a lot of interesting, you know, marketing runoff that comes out of those projects too. So we kind of invest our time there. And then our um, team, I would say, spends probably, yeah, about like 10 to 20% of their unbillable time on labs work. And I'd like to increase it, obviously, but we need a few more people <laughs> before more we can billable. do that. Sure. Yeah, more billable. So for, for people who aren't necessarily uh, in the lingo, what, is it, what does a lab mean to you? So a lab to us is where we, if you use like the scientific analogy, it's where we really mix up our chemicals and try to figure out what's going to explode without doing that at a client's expense. So we're in digital, we're trying to be innovative, trying, you know, there's so much to learn. Um, But also for a small company, research and development, I feel like is critical to growing and to making sure that you fill the market gap appropriately um, and that you flex when you need to. So it's really our research and development time. So, and it's also our team building time. So if we're all a bunch of people who are going to go home and drink Mountain Dew and try to try to build apps in our own time. Why not just build time into the workday when we're not trying to juggle family and kids and schedules? Why don't we just build that time in? Because we all spending, we love spending time together and we love working on creative projects. And so 
that's what we're trying to do. And I'm really proud of the work that we've done in a short time in the labs. And the app that we released, it took us about four months to design and develop it. And then we did a soft launch and then we just did a bigger launch. And we already have about 400 people using that app. Um, And that's pretty cool, you know, for something that was a really short-term project. Now, and you're talking about cornbread. We're talking about cornbread. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is cornbread? So cornbread is a geocaching for lack of a better term, it's a, it uses geocaching technology, um, and we think of it as an art-based app. So it's location-based and social, but you don't have to be friends with certain people to see what they've left behind. So imagine you have a friend who went to Rome, and they have this app with them, and they're walking through Rome, and they're leaving you messages like they would if they were very romantic and they were leaving you a sticky note at the Pantheon and they told you, you know, you have to look around, you know, the side of this corner and I stuck it on this piece of brick and go see if it's still there. So they're doing that, but digitally. So they're leaving you messages on a map. You go to Rome, they've tagged you. So you know that they're there. You can see them on the map, but the actual art asset won't pop up on your phone unless you're in that location exactly on the map. Wow. So within what kind of like distance? Right now it's about a hundred. We're trying to integrate beacon technology so that we can hone that in a little closer. But right now it's about a hundred feet. My gosh, this is so cool. I you know I'm thinking thinking that the road trip would have been a great place for viewers to have left stuff. To cornbread. That's awesome. Wow. That's exactly right. And so it's the name. People are like, what? That's a weird name. But um, the name is an homage to the original tagger. So there was this guy in the 60s. He was tagging his name all over the city in Philadelphia, which I happen to be from there. Like spray paint? Spray paint. He was like the original. I'm going to tag my name on something. And why don't I go to the Philadelphia Zoo and tag my name on an elephant? (laughs) So... (laughs) He was that guy. Um, And so it's kind of, you know, for people who followed graffiti at all or graffiti art, they know him. And so they get it. Like we did our soft launch in New York and everyone knew the background. Um, But it's a little on the West Coast. It's a little more underground, (laughs) not as prevalent. So not that the app is graffiti, but in a way you're leaving this piece of art on a wall potentially, and anyone can find it. Like there's no closure. There's no, oh, only my friend or a friend of a friend can see this. It's like, I'm just leaving this here. And if someone opens it and I see it on my phone that someone opened my little memento that I left in a park somewhere in Austria, which I just did that this summer. If someone opens that, I am going to be so excited. Like I don't need to get a million likes. I just need one person to open that little thing that I left behind and you can leave audio and video and but now in multiple people can open it right like anyone can open it yep and but and the person that originally left that uh digital art they are notified and like not only notified that it was viewed but also then could gain likes yes wow that's really cool and comments I'm sure comments right and comments So it's like it's like a Facebook for travelers it's like sort of geo-based yeah. Instagram. Uh, no. well, it's <laughs> visual, right? Mm. 
Okay. It is visual. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. We could argue but, I mean, about that I mean, the main one. thing is there's no, <laughs> you can't lay in bed and look at people's pictures. You can't spy on people. It's really like it forces you to connect again. And get with, out of the house. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to get out of the house. Like if you leave crumbs in your house, trust me, I've done it because oh, I've gosh. tested this app a lot. They're really boring. And then you realize when you live in an area, in an urban area, and people walk 100 feet from your house and they can see your crumbs, you're like, ah, delete, delete. My crumbs need to be cool. Um, so it forces you to really like get out there and think about what you're seeing and huh. and document it in a way that means something to you. It's not captiony. There's no caption hashtag at symbol. There's none of that. It's long form text. You can just leave oh, a poem. Is it like not even allowed? Like you cannot well, use I mean, a hashtag. There's a there's a text box. <laughs> Let's just say it's frowned upon. <laughs> okay. Because you leave like the the whole goal is to leave sort of a a whole list of assets. So you have your, you don't just have a photo, you click on the photo and you get to see the long poem that someone left with that photo and you get to hear the ambient sound when they took that photo. And so it just enriches the moment that you're standing in that space where that person was. And the best part is going to be like in 20, 30 years when you're like, oh my God. Okay. Maybe if this existed a hundred years ago, let's say, there could be so many people where you're like, whoa, I just found Einstein's crumb. Right. This is amazing. He was sitting at this table writing yes. out his algorithm on a napkin. <laughs> so so let's let's think about the future then. Um, there's there's going to be a point where like, okay, everybody goes to the Eiffel Tower. Like a lot of people go there and there's going to be so many crumbs. Like how do you even, how do you even differ? Like I'd, I'd be curious what the, um, what the interface looks like. Like, is it just a list of all the different crumbs in that area? And do you have to like click on them kind of like an email? Like, is it, is it like an inbox? So what happens is you get a notification that says there are crumbs here. And then what it is, is it's just a scrolling box. Okay. So you just scroll through all the crumbs that are there. And then when there's one that looks interesting, you tap on it and you, and it expands to the whole crumb. And how do you, how do you know if it's interesting? Is that text-based or um, visual? Visual. Okay. Typically. Cool. Um, or if you're just like, oh, whoa, this one got a million likes. What's this one all about? Yeah. Um, but on the map, it is a problem that we're going to have to solve. And it's and I'm excited for that problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we call it crumb clutter. And because on the map where we've we so we did a soft launch in New York, we just did another launch in Chicago. And once you're in an urban area, crumbs start to crop up on the map. And then there are so many you have to zoom in a lot to sort of specifically see where they are. If you just look at Chicago on the map, it's just full of crumbs. You can't see the word Chicago anymore. Um, so it's a good problem to have and a problem that's definitely on the back burner of like feature, you know, new features to dive into. But, um, but we're waiting for the problem to uh, get a little bigger before we try to solve it. Right. Um, can you make private crumbs at all? You will be able to. Okay. Also a version two. Yeah. <laughs> our dreamy version is that you leave a love note yes. for your person and you go to a bridge and it's five o'clock and you're watching this amazing sunset and you tell them that they have to come to the bridge during a sunset. So certain time of the day, certain kind of weather only come with an umbrella when there's a light drizzle and the app will be able to pull in the API from the weather app and 
you know, pull from all these various things so that it knows that, nope, sorry, you didn't hit a requirement. Right. And, but, and if you do, then it unlocks the, the crumb. Yes. Yeah. I could see proposals happening this way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's very romantic. I feel like it's a very romantic app. And I, I met some people recently and they were talking about, wow, it's like, it's like you're, they're, you're leaving ghosts. Like you walk into a place and you wonder, like, are there ghosts in this room? Like, are there crumbs in here that I could, you know, see and, and start to see this kind of alternate universe that's happening in this space? This is a whole new level of like, it reminds me of um, QR codes. Mm. You yeah, know? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is some of the bridge that we're getting to with the fact that AR is right on the horizon. Like yes. augmented reality. Like imagine when people are walking around with the glasses Yes. Are oh yeah. Fully transparent and they show everywhere. up somewhere, <laughs> and there's a chrome, and then the chrome is actually just an overlay on your world. And- wow, my mind is blown. <laughs> Isn't it fun? That's why we want to have labs because that's stuff that we want to work on. Like yeah. that's the stuff that blows our minds that we like to like dream up and fantasize about, and then just see if we can do it. And and the story behind cornbread that I just love, and it's just so fun to me. Like right around the time when we launched our business. The two, the two. So the developer and my other partner took a walk, and they were they were standing by the um, skate park under the Burnside Bridge. And my partner Corey Pressman said, "You know, these guys are taking videos of themselves. But what happens to those videos? Like, where are they? And if another skater comes here in an hour, what if he wants to see what that other guy just did? And he can't because it lives somewhere in that guy's private phone cloud." private YouTube site, whatever. I have goosebumps. Wouldn't it it be cool if I could just drop, if he could drop a video of himself here and then someone else can come back and see it and be inspired by that. And then, you know, and then they leave a bunch and it's kind of, and he literally, they came back. That was like a, let's go get lunch. They come back. They're like, Jamie, We've got this idea. <laughs> I'm like, I have, what? <laughs> yeah. What well, and then, and you know, was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is going to be amazing. You could, um, you could even then there's a whole nother market there where you could compile the videos, you know, into short clips so that people could see like, here's our park, blah, 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 blah. You know, all the different people that have, uh, you run into like a rights, you know, so, so many layers. TNCs is going to have to be pretty expan- expensive. I mean, um, to cover publicly releasing those videos but wow yeah super fun and you know at the end of the day we like I'm so I'm kind of like the penny pincher project manager person in our business and so you know I've allocated a certain amount of hours and a certain amount of funds we raised a little bit of seed money which was really exciting and and I was like, you know what, guys, like, let's just take it as far as we want to take it. Like, let's just live with it in the state that it's in. We don't have to raise like $5 million. Let's just let people use it. It's free. People have all these ideas. I mean, we get people coming up to us all the time with use case scenarios. And we're like, that is amazing. Do it. <laughs> like, There's nothing to stop you. Use it. Like, go use it and see if it's going to be great. You know, like I'm we're not in this like, oh, we're going to, we're trying to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. We're like, we run an agency and we love running an agency. We love working with our clients and we love working together. We have an amazing team. And so we're good. I'm like, you know what? This was such an amazing project to work on as a team. Whatever comes of it, it was a positive experience. So great. 
<laughs> you know, like that's, it's so nice to like not have the pressure of like, this is the only thing we're working on. Like we have a revenue stream for the business. So we don't have to put all our time and effort and like blow out our 401ks and like put our, all our dice on this one project. It's like, that's just one project. Like we might come up with another one that's even better. Well, um, and you have, right? Or I mean, well, not necessarily better, but uh, you have another project called Poetry for Robots. That's right. And yeah. now that I read the, like, just the two questions that you have on the main page, it totally makes sense. And it's genius. So it says, what if we use poetry and metaphor as metadata? Would a search for eyes return images of stars? Yeah. So this is why it's like a website theory. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. Poetry for robots. It's it's beating the um, inhuman uh, aspect of technology. Right. In a sense. Writing, yeah. writing poetry for technology to, to get it closer to what, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's trying to say, you know, rather than having all these interns at Getty Images putting these random tags on photos that are not, that have no metaphor, that have no poetry, they're just like, oh, tree, done. You right. know, yeah. <laughs> tree, tree PNG, tree with sun PNG. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, and so what we're trying to experiment with is if we added more metaphor to the way we tagged things, can we train the robot? Can we train the AI to give us a response that it's not that we're training them to be more human? We're just training them to do what we do instead yeah. of trying to accommodate like some you know, data push. Okay, great. We have X number of hours to get these number of assets compiled and into this database. And so we have to do it really fast. It's like, well, wait, just slow down for a minute. Like, let's think about the tags that we're using. Um, because we could, people could have more, and you know, this is an interesting just overall search question, but people could potentially find what they're looking for better because, they're look, they're searching for the terms rather than trying to conform the terms that they would search for. If right. that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, like, and for something that's not eyes or so, so obvious as eyes, um, something like freedom. How how do you find a picture of freedom? Right. And that would definitely work for something like that. Yeah. So we have um, we've collected over almost two thousand poems. And they are from all over the world. It's amazing. Like we have used a lot of Google Translate <laughs> to get through some like Portuguese and German and Spanish and French. It's amazing. I love that part, number one, because again, it's just this kind of like romantic. It's like a bridging of romance and technology. And I guess I'm just like a hopeless romantic. Um but so we have all these poems. And so we built this back end. It's, you know, it's very simple. The technology behind this is very simple, but we built kind of just a janky search tool to see what would start coming up if we search the poems. So if you go to the search, I'm not sure if I'm ready to make it public, but I could send it to you guys if you just want to play with it. But if you go into the search engine and you search for sorrow, you see all the pictures that come up that use that word in the poem. And it's incredible. And what's really fun, I've searched for things like alone. And the things that come up are surprising. Um, like there are pictures of crowds, you know, or something right. like that, you know, where you start to see the way people interpret that word and mul multiple people, you know, I mean, it's not that we're, we have this huge cross, cross cut of 
um, of people. But I mean, 2000 is a good small little case study. You have enough to be statistically significant. Yeah, right. And so anyway, so it's just been really fun to see, (laughs) to see what comes up. And then the next version is that people are going to be able to submit their own photos, because right now we just have a lot of um, stock, you know, stock photos in there. Um, thanks to Unsplash. So though, yeah, so it'll be interesting too, when people have their own photos and then other people are writing poems to other people's photos. That's going to be a really fun. Seriously, this like blows my mind. I love it. It's teaching, it's teaching, you know, search engines, you're teaching them simile and metaphor. Yeah. Right. It's almost impossible. In a, in a totally community based way, you know, again, like this, we're not like, oh, we're going to run some ads and the more traffic we get to our website, which is like what we do for our clients, right? Like, let's drive more traffic and we're going to drive the traffic from here and there. And then we're going to see, you know, we're going to follow the analytics. It's like, we don't care about that. This is all about romance. This is all about unbillable time that it doesn't matter because we have an awesome agency. And if we build a tool, this is what's fun about it too. If we build this cool tool, we can go out and talk to clients that maybe we couldn't talk to before and say, you know what, this tool could be really effective in a fun way as you're building a campaign, this might be a really interesting way to get people engaged with your content. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's fine. And we don't have to run ads or get people to go there and buy something like I'm so tired of that. (laughs) The end goal is not to like be a uh, Getty images competitor, right? Right. It's, but it is one venue or one option potentially for the tool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think everybody who listens should totally go check this out. It's at poetry the number four robots.com and it'll be in the show notes, but like I'm definitely gonna go write a poem or two in my crappy, crappy poetry. <laughs> but uh, it's fascinating. Like definitely very cool. And the poems are not crappy. That's what's so well, you great. Haven't read too. Mine yet. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll Reserve judgment okay? tomorrow and then I'll pull out the crappy ones. But no, <laughs> but I mean like I mean some of them, you know, I mean everyone's got their own take on the way that they see the world, but it, they're all really worth reading. I would love to figure out some way to get permission to make them a little more public because I, it's just, I love the community side of it. I love that somebody from Brazil thought it would be cool to go on this website and write a poem yeah. to the same picture that someone in North Portland is writing a poem to. Mm-hmm. And how do those two different people see? So that's the other, we're adding geo tagging to the pictures too so we can see where people are when they write the poem oh, nice. if they choose it's not sure. we're not doing that in like in any conspiratorial way they have to enter their zip code if they want that but mm-hmm. that part's fun too like wow two people looked at the same picture across the world and had two totally different takes on it very cool you should we should put the public option in the same way you put the zip code in like can can we make this public mm-hmm. yes that'd be yeah. awesome yeah. Very cool. So, so Jamie, how did you get into all of this? Like, this is crazy all over the map. It sounds like you're mostly into PM and being, I would call you a futurist. Like, how did you wind up here? Yeah, it's been a long road. I'm not young. <laughs> um, I had to make a lot of mistakes and change career paths a couple times to get to get where I was going. But ultimately, I, um, I'm a filmmaker and I don't make films anymore, but I still <laughs> like to call myself a filmmaker. So I have this brain that thinks about things, and I love science fiction. So I, I think about things as a story, and I think about things as what would this look like if it was a movie? And I think that helps me 
wrap my head around technology because I think of technology the same way I would build the pieces of a film. And, and luckily, because I have a production background, I know that it takes the steps from A to B to make something happen. And so I'm not just like a person who's like, you know, be cool. Let's do this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, actually, that's not going to be possible. So let's bring it back down to reality and figure out how we can actually build something that we could actually launch and actually get out to the public sphere. Um, but so, yeah, so I had a, I have a film degree. I went from film to the big, um, the big Silicon Valley days. So right when I graduated from college was like a, was when the tech industry was just going crazy. And so of course I couldn't find a job in film, but I very easily found a job in software development, um, just through networking. And so I ended up learning how to code right out of college. And, um, and I didn't really care because I was in my twenties and I wasn't like, Oh my God, I have to be a filmmaker. I was like, Whoa, I graduated college and I'm making money. This is amazing. <laughs> right. Um, and the people were great. It was my first, I've, I've basically exclusively been with startups ever since then. And, and it's really hard. It's a grind, but I get it. I think that's why I've been able to run a, you know, what I hope is a successful business for a year without, um, any major pitfalls. But anyway, so these guys started this company. Um, it was web-based software. It was way before there were like login sites where a client could log in and use their own software. It was really um, cutting edge for the time. And so I did, I built web-based software and I did that for a while. And then, I, and that was in California. And then I, I had some friends move up to Portland and they were trying to get me to come and I didn't know what, what I was going to do. And then that company let me actually work from home. And so that was huge. So I was working for this amazing startup company with great people. They, they were seeing a lot of growth. And then I was like, whoa, what? I could just sit in my living room at home and do this with my dial-up internet connection. No joke. Um, and so I did. And that was kind of like my launching point with Portland, but when I was in Portland, I wanted to work in film because it, it was also burgeoning at that time. And you could actually like go on set and meet Gus Van Zandt. And it's like, whoa, what? My brain is exploding. Like these people are here and you can just like go and work with them. That doesn't happen in California. So anyway, so I started working at the film center and the film center, the Northwest film center is where I met every single person that's been critical to my career path, every single person. And one of them works for me right now. Um, and the other one hired me to work in mobile. So it's just bit like that community for whatever reason was where I needed to be. And I got it, I volunteered there. So it got me out of my house. Eventually I started working there. I did marketing for the film center for a number of years and got me back into the film community, but I was still really interested in technology. And so on the side, I started teaching technology classes to kids because I just loved that. And, um, and then eventually I started teaching um, at a school. I was like their IT support, which that was really funny because, you know, if you're coding, a lot of people don't know this, but if you're a coder, you're not a systems administrator. <laughs> so, but somehow they thought if I could work on a website, I could also work on their network system for the whole school. So I tried to do that. Aren't, which was wait, fine. aren't you one of those magical DevOps unicorns? Right. No, no, no. I'm not even a developer. I just like learn how to do HTML at a young age and got lucky. Um, but I don't, I don't even consider myself a developer coder. 
So anyway, yeah, so I worked in the school, which led me to working in summer camps, which was amazing. And I also worked from home and I got to write technology curriculum for kids who wanted to learn coding and 3D game design and website design. And then there was this other um, opportunity to start a film documentary film camp. And so I started teaching kids how to do digital editing and After Effects. So it's like film and technology. That was a dream job. And then, and then I met this guy, you know age-old story, met this guy and like started to get into fall in love and then (laughs) career path didn't seem as important. So I fell in love with this guy who happened to live in Europe. So I basically like quit my job and just moved to Europe and did that Um, and just like taught and wrote and um, did that. And then when I came back, I um, got this amazing opportunity to work with a friend of mine from the film center working... um, helping grow her very small mobile agency and it was called night and day studios. And that was basically my MBA, um, training on the job training. That experience was so life-changing and critical in every level. Um, I just owe them everything. Um, it was amazing. So we built this amazing team. We grew from three people to 25 people in two years. We've opened an office in New York, We started working with very small companies, and at the end, we were working with Warner Brothers, Sesame Street, basically everyone, like Thomas the Tank Engine. We were focused on kids' media, Um, and it was was all education and all technology and bridging those two worlds of, like, what's safe for kids? What do you want to release to kids and and feel good about? And and I got to combine everything that I had been doing in my whole life, like trying to work with kids. There was like this film component because there was animations and we had to do voiceovers and um, and sometimes take like pieces of film and, and embed them in the apps. And it was exciting, super great. Um, I guess part of that I sh- probably shouldn't talk about. So like all the things I said I could talk about, there's some details to that situation that I probably shouldn't get into, but it was amazing. And then I went from that um, and went into advertising, which was a was an interesting jump, but also same thing. I like owe that um, that work so much. So I worked for Swift, and Swift is a digital marketing company. When I started there, they really were web focused, and during the time I was there, they really shifted into folk to focus on social only. But they did um, they did all the content creation. So they had a studio in house. They do videos, they do photography shoots. So it was still tying into that, but I got to run the whole production team. So I got to really like put my management chops, um, to work and see if that little tiny night and day studio thing was real. I could like test it in the real world and working with, you know, more really big brands, really interesting work and just fantastic people. The people that work at Swift are just amazing. Um, I ran the producer team And they got acquired and they just started growing really fast. And at that point, I was just thinking, like, I love that small team vibe. Like, I love the startup thing where everyone gets to be a part of every decision. We get to collaborate. We get to dream up possibilities. We're not in this, like, cranking out stuff that we may or may not feel good about. But everyone's working, like, 13, 14 hours and we're burning ourselves out. Nobody gets to actually, like use their creative energy because they're using it all on stuff that isn't really that creative. Yeah. 
And um, I saw that grind and just knew that I wasn't going to be able to do it for very long. So I decided to jump and I just jumped right into Neologic from there. And um, it was petrifying, (laughs) very petrifying, but I had a lot of good support. And even people I worked with were so supportive. They're like, this is the right move for you. Like, this is where you need to be right now. And, um, and so, yeah, so sorry, that was a long story, but that's kind of the the path. Oh, that's kind of the point. That's an (laughs) awesome story. I mean, your, your journey is really interesting and deep and it's very cool to hear about it. Um, think we'll have some links in the show notes for you guys if you want to check out some more of that um i did have one last question for you just because we kind of talked about it earlier but if you could like look down the pipe of what's coming in technology what do you think is either like the most exciting thing or the thing that you want to dig into the most interesting question that's so good i mean you know it's interesting because we're all trying to keep pace with what's coming and so much of it because i because I was in advertising, so much of it is based on is based on that. So, oh, what's happening in mobile advertising, and what's happening with you know new ways to get content in front of people, and that that stuff doesn't interest me. And I think at some point people are going to get really burned out on it. And I think people are already really savvy. I think as technology grows, the consumer gets more and more savvy. We already know that audiences are have become more savvy but it's just getting more and more and and the whole like driving traffic to advertising thing I mean it works and there's some formulas that work but anyway I think like that level of technology and like what's happening with the watch that stuff doesn't interest me it's really and I don't want to sound like I'm tuning my own horn but I mean it's really the stuff that brings people back together that interests me most so so new apps that aren't necessarily social networks, but integrate ways to communicate with each other. So I would even say like things like, um, things like Uber or apps and websites like Etsy, that's the technology that it, that interests me. Like the fact that you can be sitting in your living room, making a necklace and then put it on a website. And the next thing you know, like you get to divert your career into that. I love that level of technology. I love Airbnb. I love Uber. I love that a guy could like get off work, come pick me up, drop me off at home and then go back home to eat dinner with his family. Like, so that's the level of technology that I'm interested in. And I don't know that I can't like predict that there's something new on the horizon, but I think like the more of those sort of game-changing applications come out, I think the more relevant and applicable to people it will be. And and hopefully the big brands will understand that all they have to do is come up with something that's going to help people and they won't have to worry about advertising so much. Did, did you hear about Amazon's ma- latest move? You can deliver Amazon packages. Oh, I did not. Yeah. It, if, if I remember correctly, it pays like 15 to $18 an hour. And you can just show up to the delivery center and bring the package to a destination. Like if you're already going that direction mm-hmm. or if that's mm-hmm. just what you want to do, be your own boss and deliver packages, yeah. do it. Huh. It's like Postmates and a ship and all these different things. I think, yeah, it's it's where technology is, is kind of taking this turn where we're looking again at technology as a tool instead of as like, you know, technology for connection instead of ke- technology for consumption. Exactly. Right. right. It, that is a great way of putting it. Exactly. Very cool. Well, I am also excited about these things. Um, 
and I will look forward to seeing what your studio puts out. Everybody should check out Cornbread. That's super cool. I will definitely be trying to crumb. Yeah, cornbreadapp.com. Yeah, cornbread yeah. and poetry for robots. And neologic.co. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Jamie, is Thanks. there any way people can follow you? Are you a tweeter or anything like that? Yes, I'm at Jamie, and my spelling is J-A-I-M-E, Jaime Gennaro, G-E-N-N-A-R-O. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Remember, the show notes are available at jupiterbroadcasting.com. There's also a contact form, or you can email us directly, wtr at jupiterbroadcasting.com. You can also find us on iTunes, and if you have a minute, we'd love to hear a review from you. You can also follow us on Twitter at HeyWTR. Thanks for listening. <laughs>